Get ready for that big test with Study.com. Study.com offers learning materials and test prep, even LSAT study prep guides for all of my legal nerds listening. Unfortunately, there aren't any wine study guides, and believe me, I did check. Listeners can get 30% off their first three months of any subscription level using the promo code CRIMEOVERWINE. Again, that's promo code CRIMEOVERWINE, no spaces, for 30% off your first three months at Study.com. Learn faster, stay motivated, study smarter with our sponsor, study.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 54th episode of Crime Over Wine, the only podcast with head-scratching true crime stories that are just better over a bottle of wine. I'm your host, Liam Collins, and this week, my guest co-host is the new queen of Nashville, new queen, a Tennessee news legend, in my book anyways, and just one of the most wonderful humans probably ever. My guest co-host this week is Lori Mitchell. Hello, Lori. How are you? What? An introduction. You know I had to, only for you. Thank you, Liam. You are so sweet. (laughs) It is so good to hear your voice. Oh, I am so happy that you're here. Laura, you've been talking about this for so long, I feel like, since, like, probably almost just about a year um, that we've been talking about you jumping on this podcast, and so it's finally happening. Yeah, life has gotten busy. We've both made some big changes in our lives. I've moved, but um, I'm happy we could finally get this on the calendar, and what a perfect time to do it around the holidays, just so we could reconnect and kind of see what each other has been up to. Yeah. Well, Lori, um, let's celebrate that with a nice little glass of wine together. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Cheers, my friend. All right. Excellent. Well, this week, we are drinking 13 Celsius's Pinot Grigio, a bouquet of floral aromas leading to flavors of luscious pear and ripe tropical fruit with a crisp, lively finish. I'm getting summer vibes from this one, I feel like, yeah. as opposed to like a nice like winter Christmassy kind of kind of feeling. So I, I love it though. It's super light. Yes. Um it's mm. easy to drink. I love a Pinot Grigio any time of the year. Yeah, so true. Well, what's your, what's typically your go-to? Are you a right a white gal, red gal? I like both. You know, usually white in the summer, red in the winter, but I tend to do more white than red, I would say. Um, And I love champagne. Oh, I do. Good dry brute. You know, I haven't done, oh, I do love a a good dry brute too. I haven't done a champagne on this podcast yet, and I feel like I need to. I feel like I'm like saving that for like a good milestone episode, though, like a hundredth episode. Like I feel like I have to, right? Yeah, I think that's a, that makes perfect sense, but I've got to say, 54 episodes, that's incredible. Well, good for you. It flew by, Lori. It flew by. Well, cheers to you, Lori. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, this is fun. Thanks for having me. Ooh, okay. Oh, that tastes like a Pinot Grigio. If I've ever tasted a Pinot Grigio before, it's really good though. It is very good. It's very you're very you're very right though. Very dry. Um, very um light to pear. 100 mm-hmm, percent crisp mm-hmm. lively finish though is a very is a very good way to describe that too because that it just like like you know is very very smooth just goes right down yeah love it they also make a sauvignon blanc i saw really oh yes i think i did see that in the store you're right about yeah, that yeah we'll have to try that yeah. next time i know next time around oh she's already Ooh, talking about next time we're maybe only five the 100th in. episode yeah we'll yeah back. <laughs> wink wink nudge nudge never know right <laughs> well Lori, this i have to dive right into our case this week sure. though, because i have a crazy one 
Um, it's going to leave you kind of gripped on, on to the edge of your seat here, but it's worth it, right? Because it is one of those cases that you're not going to be able to forget. Lori, this week, I want to tell you a story about a teacher that was met with one of the worst endings for a reason you simply will need to hear to believe. This week, I want to tell you the story of Noema Graber, Fairfield's Spanish teacher. This week's story takes place in Fairfield, Iowa, pretty much right between Cedar Rapids and the Missouri state line. The 2021-2022 school year was 66-year-old Noema Graber's 10th year working as the local high school Spanish teacher. And she knows Spanish so well because it was her native language. Noema was born in Jalapa, Mexico, nicknamed the Flower Garden of Mexico. But teaching Spanish was hardly always Noema's dream job. When she graduated high school, she worked as a flight attendant and then earned her license as a commercial air pilot. But in one way or another, life brought her to Fairfield, Iowa in 1992, when she got her certificate to teach in the state. 20 years later, Noema got a job as a Spanish teacher at Fairfield High School. At this point in life, she was living a really quiet lifestyle. She had three kids, a wonderful husband, who had suddenly found himself relying on Noema as the primary breadwinner. Noema's husband of more than 20 years had been disabled by extensive nerve damage to his leg and feet, and so she was the one who was financially able to keep her household afloat. Yeah, so it seems like Noema was in a really good space. You know, she had a job that she enjoyed. She had had, this was kind of part mm -hmm. two of her career. Um, right. She was doing what she loved and obviously something she was really good at, and what a happy place to be doing that in a high school right. full of yeah. energy and kids who are excited about life and full of hope. Yeah. Well, and listen, so I know like Lori works in a school, like, like we love our teachers, right? Like I come from a long line of teachers, hardly my dream job, right? Like not what I want to do in any way, shape or form. Couldn't, couldn't be me. Um, but like, if that, if that's what you're going for and like, she seemed as though like, this was just like, like where life took her. Right. And it's just like, like we've all been there, right. Where it's just like, you know, one thing happens and you know, all of a sudden you find yourself in a, in a place maybe you didn't think of 20 years ago. And that seems to be kind of the situation that Noema kind of found herself in where it was like she imagined her life as one way, but, you know, life took her a different way and she wasn't mad about it, wasn't happy about it. It was just, this is how life is. Yeah, she was the way life goes. embracing where she was in Absolutely. life and doing what she had to do to support her family and take care of yeah. her husband. Yeah, and in a really important way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, 100%. But, you know, one can only imagine what it was like to have to bear this kind of burden, right? Like being married to a, you know, disabled husband, having to bring home all the bacon. It must have been like a massive stress, especially considering your way of providing for the family was teaching a stressful career as is, plus, you know, teachers are not exactly known for raking in the dough necessarily. So Noema had this routine to stay healthy and to relieve the stress of the day. She would leave work and drive right to the local park where she would listen to music and take a walk around the park, soak in the nature and the fresh air and just clear her mind. And, you know, when someone has that kind of routine, their loved ones expect them to do certain things, right? Leave work at this time, call home at this time, come home at this time. And on November 2nd, 2021, that routine was off because Noema never returned home from her usual walk after work. I think she was also a little bit vulnerable. You know, yes, uh, to your point, your loved ones know your routine, your pattern. They knew when to expect her home. But also if someone was 
wanting to do something bad to Noema, they yeah, also right. know where she's going, when she's going to be there, and where to look for her. Yeah. And, you know, because someone said this to me once, and I was like, whoa, you're right. Because I, um, but, like, like, humans are very routine, like, whether mm-hmm. we like to think about it or not, right? Like, I, you know, will regularly, you know, stop home at the grocery store on the way home from work, pick up dinner, stuff for dinner, like, and so, like, I don't really think about that because typically I'm deciding to go to the grocery store, like, on my way home from work. Like, I'm not, like, this isn't, like, part of my routine kind of thing. At least I don't think it is. But it is, right? Because, it, like, that's kind of the, just the way things roll. And so, point being is if that's, like, people, like, it's almost, like, instinctual kind of thing as mm-hmm. opposed to, like, a thing that, like, you're planning out to do. It's just kind of, like, yep, like, n- like a normal thing. I'm just going go to the, go to the park and, and take my little walk after, after school. Everything's cool. Everything's dandy. And in a town like Fairfield, Iowa, right, where it's, you know, it's, you know, large town, small city kind of, kind of feel it's like, that feels right. Like that feels okay. Mm -hmm. That we're, that Mm -hmm. we're going to do this and I should feel safe enough to do this because I've done this a hundred thousand times before. Right. Yeah. Obviously a false sense of security there. Yeah. A little bit. So, you know, when the time Noema always comes home, comes and goes, and then hours go by. And by this point, darkness was falling. That's when Noema's family gets really concerned and decides to call police. So officers retrace her steps when they when they get this call from the school to the park, looking for any sign of Noema, and they don't really find anything at all at first, not even her van, which she always used to get around town, including to the park after school. So while they continue searching around Fairfield for that van and for Noema, some officers decide they're going to hang back to search through the park for any sign that she had ever even made it there to begin with. And as they're searching, the night of November 2nd turns into the early morning of November 3rd. And that's when they find something peculiar, something just a little out of place here. They find a wheelbarrow overturned with what looks like a tarp underneath it. And so they decide they're going to go to investigate and they lift the wheelbarrow to see railroad ties securing something underneath that tarp. And when they untie the railroad ties and peel back the tarp, they find Noema Graber dead and badly beaten, just absolutely black and blue, Lori. Noema Mm. had been beaten to death by what looked like a blunt object. So at this point, did they have any clues about, you know, who would want to hurt her? Did she have any enemies? Yeah. Well, so that's obviously like natural place, right? You know, police immediately begin an investigation to what happened to Noema. And of course, they look at who Noema's enemies may have been. From what I can tell, they rule out an, anyone in Noema's family pretty quickly, right? Like that's the very first place you're going to sure. look, especially the spouse. But Noema is a pretty prominent Latina in a small but growing Latin Hispanic community. So they even explore that as a possible motive, that as a possible avenue, but don't really come up with much to support that. And as they start asking around Noema's school, two names come up through the halls of Fairfield High School, and along with it, a pretty strong amount of evidence. Crime Over Wine is sponsored by BetterHelp. As someone who's used therapy for years, I know that finding a therapist can sometimes be a stress on its own, juggling your full-time job, your family, your friends, your podcast, and trying to find the right therapist on top of that can almost feel impossible. That's where BetterHelp comes in. 
BetterHelp matches you with a therapist that works for you on your terms. It's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you to one of 33,000 licensed professional therapists in as little as a few days. And because finding a new therapist is a lot like finding a new bottle of wine, if you don't jive with your therapist, you can easily switch to a new one at no additional cost. You can get 10% off your first month of BetterHelp by going to betterhelp.com slash crimeoverwine. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash crimeoverwine for 10% off your first month. Join over 4 million people who decided to get help and get happy with BetterHelp. Those two names are 16-year-old Willard Miller and Jeremy Goodale, both students at Fairfield High School. Now, those two names come up through messages that were sent on the on the social media app Snapchat that had come to police's attention. Mm, so what did the messages say? Well, they're messages that may have seemed a little eyebrow raising at first, Lori, but are purely spine chilling once word gets out about what happened to Noema Graber. The messages are from Willard and Jeremy and appear to show the two teenagers straight up admitting to killing Noema. Here's what they say. The messages are threatening in nature and directed straight at Noema. The messages basically admit to having been, quote, involved in the planning, execution, and disposal of evidence related to Noema's case, according to law enforcement. Investigators called the messages very graphic in nature, detailing how the murder had taken place, and those messages had apparently gone on for weeks. And so apparently police know who did it. They don't have to look anywhere else. They are zeroed in on their uh, potential suspects yeah, right there. Right. Well, and this happens like literally like within a day or two, they get mm-hmm. like these messages um, a day or two after um, they end up finding Noema. And so everything's happening very, very quick. It feels like it's happening very, very quick in the episode, but it's happening like just as fast. It feels like anyways, um, in real life. And so, yeah, I mean, that's pretty damning evidence, you know, on its face, right. Of like, like here are a couple of kids, like not, you know, not being great murderers, right. Where like, they're you right. know, like letting it all hang out. So. Right. What did they think would happen if they, had this conversation over Snapchat Ooh, or text no. messages. I mean, were they thinking? Clearly not. No, they I didn't mean, plan this out very well. No, again, worst murderers ever, I feel like. Again, it was like, hello. Like, it's we're, what, 20 minutes into this episode, and we already know who, who did this, right. right? I mean, it's already pretty clear. Um, but, you, but no, you're, you're very, very right about that. And, like, again, like, not that this really matters, because, like, like, it's, you know, at the end of the day, like, don't murder people, but, like, also, like, don't, like be careful about what you put in writing right like i feel like we've heard that so many times like especially mm-hmm. like like me growing up when like social media was like just becoming a thing when like we were all kind of kind of like coming to age of like being able to like use social media um and like we, it was like drilled into our brains about like be careful what you put online be careful what we put online um and again like moral of the story here is like don't kill people but like more like also more of the story here is like because like let's put our hats on about like like Willard and Jeremy are innocent, right? Like at the very least, it looks real bad if if they're right. like threatening to kill the woman and like she happens to end up dead, you know, even if they if, if they didn't have anything to do with it. So Yeah. They're also so young, yeah. you know, and they're not thinking and they're also just being careless. They're comfortable texting and Snapchatting yeah. and letting everyone know everything about their lives. So yeah. why wouldn't they talk right. about it on the phone? Sure. And like careless and kind of callous, like if you think yeah. about it of like 
like they like from the perspective of like they actually did do this thing like yeah. you are just bragging about it to your friends on snapchat very sad very sad very very sad um, you know, but the messages alone are, of course, enough to make investigators super interested in Willard and Jeremy as suspects here, of course. They bring them both in for separate interviews. Now, they both give wildly different stories, though. But interestingly, neither of the teenage boys deny having any direct involvement in the case. But they don't openly admit to having been the one to have killed Noema. Interesting. So what do you mean by that exactly? Well, at first, Willard says that a gang of masked kids whom he and Jeremy had come across at the park forced them to help hide Noema's body after they they had killed her. And he said they were terrified, so they went along with the whole thing. But then they are presented with the text messages that police have, and then all of a sudden in the middle of this investigation and this interrogation, the story changes. Suddenly, Mm. the gang of masked kids are out, and they say that they claim to have had, quote, knowledge of Noema's murder, but didn't have anything to do with it directly. But police present them with new evidence about Noema's van. By this point, just two days after Noema's body was found, they had found the van down a remote road just a few miles from the park. And a witness had already told police that they saw the van driving away from the park just 42 minutes after Noema would normally arrive at the park for her walk around 4 o'clock. And it was being driven by two young men who, the witness said, matched Willard and Jeremy's descriptions. So just 42 minutes. So they knew where she would be going right. after work. They knew her routine, her her pattern. She was a creature of habit. And they planned this. Yeah. Well, yeah. And let's not forget. And like, we're going to get to this a little bit later on, Lori. But like, like when we're th- they're talking about the messages, like the messages like had gone on for weeks, right? Like, and so mm-hmm. like there were lots of different conversations about this. And so point being is they had decided that they were going to do this a long time ago. And so to your point here, like they did their homework, you know, for kind of a bad pun, but it's it's true, right? Yeah, it is true. And I mean, sounds like premeditated murder to me, first degree. If I've ever seen one, right? Well, you know, that wasn't all either, Low Lori. They had also received emergency warrants for Willard and Jeremy's phone records. And that showed a call made to a friend that apparently resulted in a ride from that friend. And where the call was placed and where the pickup had happened were both in the same location. And that location was the exact same remote street where Noema's van was later found. I mean, if you're using a cell phone or technology or you have a car with GPS, you're going to get caught. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a matter Especially of these time. Days. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and again, like going back to like dumbest murderers ever, in my opinion. Sure. But like, again, like the like the evidence is stacked up against them, right? Because, like, normally by this point, again, we're 20 minutes in, we have so much more to talk about, but, like, um, like at this point in the episode, we have multiple suspects, we have multiple, you know, possible motives, multiple possible theories here, and at this point, we are just pointing, like, right at two people, and, like, all the evidence is supporting that. Such young people with their whole lives ahead right. of them. Right. Well, yeah, and it's like, like, Noema, right, who had, you know, was older, you know, certainly not older than so certainly older than 16 um but still had a lot of good life to her right and like had you know a you know career where you know in in what i consider public service you know what i mean like she had a lot going for her as well and Mm -hmm. and you know again like 
if you're a little perturbed right now, Lori, just give it a couple couple minutes here because we're going to talk about some some wild stuff that ends up popping up from this case. So hold that thought big time. You're going to need another glass for sure. Um, well, investigators had clearly already put all of the pieces together, just like we're doing here, Lori. They just needed to see what Willard and Jeremy were going to say during this interrogation. And they were budging, but not by much. By this point, they had resorted to blaming each other, saying that, yes, they were there, but they were only an accomplice and the other one had dealt the fatal blow. They had simply served as a lookout for the other, helped hide the body, and moved to Wima's car after the murder. But police weren't buying their stories, and frankly, they had no reason to. They were both arrested and charged with first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit a forcible felony. They were being charged as adults, which was automatically triggered under state law when a minor is charged with the charges the two teens were facing. Yeah, as they should be charged if they're guilty of this crime. Absolutely. Okay, but Liam, this is all kind of moving quickly. Why did they even do this? Well, Lori, investigators end up pointing to a pretty intense motive. And I promise you, Lori, you're going to need to keep that glass handy for this one. Hello, Crime Over Wine listeners. I am Rachel. And I'm Heather. We are the hosts of Like Mother, Like Murder. We bring you the good, the badass, and the crime. Each week, we bring you stories from missing and murdered to survivors and women who empower you. And of course, some mom talk sprinkled in. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts at Like Mother, Like Murder. And give us a follow on social media so that we can say hi. Okay, love you, bye. Okay, love you, bye. Crime Over Wine is proud to support Emancipet. Veterinary care shouldn't be a mystery, and neither should your pet's health. Emancipet's licensed veterinarians have answers to all of your pet questions. In the Vet Ed video series, veterinarians break down topics from spaying and neutering to protecting your pet in cold weather. Learn more at emancipet.org and watch Vet Ed on the Emancipet YouTube channel. All right, Lori, how is your wine tasting needs now? I am loving this. This is such a good treat tonight. I'm glad you suggested this. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Love it, right? Well, and it's and it's very relaxing yeah. too, I feel like. Because normally with white wines, I'm like like triggered a little bit. I'm like like when my energy gets going. And this is like very much so it's like like easy to sip on like we're just like having like chit-chatting having a good time and it's like I'm barely even noticing I'm drinking wine honestly but I'm almost done with my first glass so yeah it goes down very easy so I don't know if that's a good Mm -hmm. thing or not but you know hey whatever I'm gonna feel good tomorrow morning when I wake up (laughs) yeah we're gonna find out tomorrow right but hey with people like us Lori like you know it it could be a good thing or a bad thing we're just gonna we're we're all gonna find out at some point right (laughs) it tastes good now though that's all that matters it sure does it sure does no but I really I really do like it and again if I if I go for whites i typically go for a pinot mm-hmm. grigio or sauvignon, or sauvignon blanc um and t- typically go for, i feel like probably more so pinot grigio um but i'm really again just it's it's simple it's you know again like very traditional pinot grigio here um you know you're not getting anything crazy nothing not, not getting anything like too like out of bounds here and i'm i'm really enjoying it i would definitely buy this again 
That's how much I like it. I would recommend Five it to a friend. endorsement from Lori. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Lori, um, we left you on a pretty intense uh, cliffhanger here. Mm-hmm. We're about to find out why Willard and Jeremy may have killed Noema. And so you want to get there? Yeah, let's get to it. All right. Well, investigators had ended up using those Snapchat messages that we've been talking about this whole episode to figure out that the duo had been planning this attack against Noema for weeks. And they alleged that the duo had been watching her every move for two weeks to learn more about her routine and to see when she would be at the most vulnerable place. They learned about her daily after school walk and plotted the exact day when they would kill her. And they did all of this, Lori, because Noema had failed Willard in her class. And that bad grade was apparently going to prevent him from being able to participate in a study abroad program. So they killed their teacher because he was afraid he wasn't going to be able to participate in study abroad? Yep. Unbelievable. Unbelievable, right? Yeah. And like, again, like, so, because I have a couple different thoughts here, right? Like, obviously, like... Not that there's ever a good reason to kill somebody, but, like, the most ridiculous reason yeah. that I've ever heard to, to commit murder, right? Because, like, to, you have ruined three people's lives, multiple people's lives, actually, because Noema's whole family is, like, shattered from this whole thing over a bad grade. It's like, do some extra credit, kid. Like, what do you, yeah. like, I don't understand that. But, like, also, again, to be clear, like, this, it's just a Willard that mm-hmm. ended up failing. Like, I never saw, like jeremy having been failed in any way shape or form so it's like where was his motive like how did he even get involved in this whole thing that's really not clear to me at this point listen like like kids and teachers have like kind of real tense relationships you know what i mean and so especially with that kind of like generational difference right so i can only imagine like what was going on inside the classroom you know besides just like the failed grade like they clearly had this like real tense relationship leading up to this whole thing. So. But where was this kid's moral compass? Both yep. of their moral Gone. compasses. I mean, yeah. they weren't thinking big picture, long-term, this is minor, right. I can work through right. this. He was just looking for an easy, what he thought would be an easy solution in the moment. Yeah. Right. Well, and and again, like, not even just that, but like, they were like, basically bragging about it on the back sure. end. And so it's like, it's like, it was... Like, there was zero emotional capabilities here whatsoever. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, so, like, I had a, I would love to hear, like, a psychological evaluation on these two kids because, like, it's it's gone. Like, the, like the, the, the morality here is out the window. Like, definition of, like, like going to murder somebody probably again if they didn't get caught this time. Well, that's a great point, too. Do we know anything about their past behavior or had they been through the juvenile justice system? Had they had issues at school? Was this a first first time offense i mean so many so, questions so many questions you're right about that and I'm like that's a good point because that those are usually good indicators but as far as i could tell Lori, no like as far as i could tell that there was no kind of like they had good home lives like everything was good like you know didn't really get in any serious trouble at school that kind of thing like this mm-hmm. was really like the first time that anything really crazy happened as far as i'm aware wow so it's too yeah. bad for both of them it really is yeah it really really is 
Um, but, you know, Willard, you know, during this whole conversation about this grade, had apparently met with Noema after class, and it wasn't a good conversation. Apparently, it was gotten to a really intense argument. And that's when those violent and threatening text messages had started. They seemed to openly admit to having been watching her every move in those messages, and they were threatening to do something bad to her in those group chats with their friends. One of those messages had apparently even said that Noema had, quote, failed the wrong student. Oh, wow. That does sound very threatening. Yeah. Well, and again, like kids say dumb stuff, you know what I sure. mean? Like, like from that perspective. And I would be curious to know what the messages in response were. Um, you know what I mean? Cause it very, cause, cause I'm, you know, at some point like you respond and you, you know, like egg it on to a certain extent, you know what I mean? Um, as opposed to just like letting him just like like relieve all of this like pent up aggression. Yeah. Like you probably, so I, so I'd be curious to know how these kids like responded to this, to this whole thing. Clearly, like, again, to be clear, like once Noema had passed, like they brought these messages to the to police's attention. Like they did pretty much everything they were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would be curious to know, like maybe how bad the messages were before she, they, they killed her. Um, and like, like whether or not anyone could have been alarmed from those and like if those should have been brought to someone's attention beforehand right she may still be alive today maybe yeah again i I don't know maybe not i mean maybe maybe they just weren't they didn't get to that point until after she had passed maybe um but like there clearly were you know very intense messages and very you know you know graphic in terms of like like talking about how they were following her and stuff which is like obviously inappropriate right and so like clearly there was something there that like you know could should have gotten someone's attention but like we're talking about kids here right and so they don't always have like think with the best judgment um so i don't know i don't know it's just it's just interesting and like again i always live by this like thought of of and like probably at some points like a little too intensely um but like you know see something say something right and like mm-hmm. if you see a, like a message that just is not adding up to you or it's not sitting right with you you gotta say something about it and you just have to wonder if she noticed anything a little off right. those last couple right. of weeks of her so life true. had she seen the students following her um had she noticed anything out of the ordinary when she went on her daily walk at the park mm-hmm. and if she did maybe she thought ah kids just being kids right right they're, right. they're trying to intimidate me, but she didn't think they were actually serious. Yeah, right. Right, right. Yeah. And again, like I, I say, say it again, I take this a little bit too seriously sometimes in terms of like, you know, lo- keeping an eye out on my surroundings and like, you know, like writing down like, like, um, like license plates, like just in case when like they don't end up actually like turning into anything, but like one day they may. Sure. Um, and so to that point too, where, where it's just, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta have that kind of, you know, awareness of yourself. Um, for sure. And like you were saying, maybe she did, maybe she didn't, right? Like maybe, maybe she, like it never rose to that point, you know, and mm-hmm. up until it did, you know. Mm. Um, you know, the teen's attorneys argue that the messages should be thrown out in court, among other evidence, because they believe the investigators didn't prove that the informant that they had used to get the warrant was reliable enough to be able to follow through on that. And so, therefore, just about all of the rest of the evidence should also be thrown out because they wouldn't have brought the boys in if they didn't have those messages to begin with. Well, that's their jobs. You know, they're they're doing what they can to try to right. protect their clients. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think that the message kind of spelled out what happened right, and they were turned over to authorities and, you know, prosecutors need them. I don't see a problem with having them admitted into evidence. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, me neither, really. And like, but but to that point, though, like the argument that they're trying to use is like dictionary definition of like fruit of the poisonous tree, right? Where it's like bad, you know, bad tree produces bad apples and th- and all the apples around it can't be used because the tree is bad. And so that's kind of, that's clearly the argument they're using. I feel like that's probably the first time that we've talked about that on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And so important to note there. Um, I think probably a poor example of it, right? Where it's, you know, you know, it's kind of what you were saying before, right? It's like from the horse's mouth of like, here are these messages here are the like, like the student is giving it up and like, it's, it's all happening. But to your point too, right? Like you have to use as much as you can to try to get people off, you try to get your client off um, until you don't have anything left. Yeah. Well, the judge ultimately disagreed with the boys' attorneys and ruled that all of the evidence would be kept in court. And frankly, that seemed to be the moment that the defense teams decided to give in. Because in April of 2023, just days before the case was scheduled to go to trial, both of the boys decided to plead guilty to all of their charges. I think it would have been very difficult to find a jury that wouldn't have agreed that both committed the crime. There was a lot of really solid evidence. um, And they probably took their attorney's advice and said, hey, this is our best chance. So take a deal, save yourself from going through a long, uh, painful trial. And um, probably the best thing for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and again, we see that, you know, all the time in these situations where it's just you, you exhausted all of your options, right? Where it's like, you've used all of your defenses, all this stuff. And like, and like, even, and frankly, we've seen it so many times too, where it's like, it's like, you know, even if there's still like a little bit of, of, you know, haziness as to who did it, like the evidence is so strong, where it's just like, you're better off, man, like you're better off taking, taking a plea deal. Um, and like, again, I don't think this is the situation here at all, just to be crystal clear, but like, you know, where it's, you know, you're just, you're better off taking the plea deal as opposed to going to a trial. Um, because if you take the plea deal, at least you might be able to get a lesser sentence. Whereas if you go to trial, like you're at the will of, of, of everybody else. You know? Yeah. And they're so. so young too. I mean, there's a chance yeah. that maybe they'll see the light of day and yeah. be able to get out a little right. bit earlier. Right. Well, and we're going to talk about why the law kind of backs that up a good bit too. Um, in just a second, too. So definitely hold that thought, Lori. Okay. Well, you know, they both pretty much admitted to all of this entire crime, the bad grade, the weeks of stalking, the text messages, and the brutal attack. Jeremy had already agreed to testify against Willard if the cases went to trial, however, and he already had given some more detail to how it actually all played out. Jeremy testified that Willard's jokes about this whole plot were getting darker and darker leading up to the day of the attack, but both went through with it. Willard had apparently brought a wheelbarrow from his own home to the scene of the attack, which was corroborated by a witness who said that they saw the boys pushing a wheelbarrow around the park shortly before midnight the night of the murder. Jeremy said that Willard attacked Noema with a baseball bat first, and then moved her body off of the trail, but Jeremy followed Willard's lead when he noticed that the blow hadn't killed her. He said that after she was moved off the trail, he took the bat and finished her off. Afterward, they put her body in the wheelbarrow to move her body to a spot near the railroad track where they covered her lifeless body with a tarp, 
wrapped it with railroad ties and put the wheelbarrow on top of her and left her there to be found just a few hours later. This is so disturbing. I mean, this is a teacher who cared for them. She was trying to make a difference in their lives. I mean, you know, sometimes you need a little bit of tough love at that age if mm-hmm. you're not applying yourself. And oh, yeah. she probably saw potential in this student and uh, wanted to help him succeed and push him yeah. to do better work. Yeah, well, yeah, and, especially, and frankly, again, it sounds like these kids needed some guidance in their life right like needing an adult to to lead them along the way and here's like an adult who is responsible been there and done that like has been through hard times and like could have like you know been a mentor or like you know been a friend or a you know a role model in some way shape or form or even just a teacher you know at the very at the very bare minimum to like guide them through like you know the weird feelings that they were having at like weird ages um and so yeah i mean just like what a i'm like again like what a callous way to do this right where it's just Mm -hmm. it's it's so personal it's so brutal and it's so like and like again i think about about you know guns knives that kind of thing like kill someone almost instantly right like that's just how that works right and but with a bat like you don't know right like you just don't know and so like and clearly like who knows like what kind of injuries you could have inflicted on a Mm -hmm. person and then have them like you think that they're dead, but like in reality, their heart had just like slowed so much. And like, who knows how much, how much she could have suffered after that. So anyways, I don't know. I don't even want to think about that. But like point being is like the way that they went about this is so intense and like, and dark, right? Like so dark. Yeah. And, and just to know in her family situation, like right. this is a woman who is so getting up every day. She's going to work. She's trying to like um, help children who you know maybe want to pursue a goal in the future and she's there for them like you said to kind of guide them along the way but she's also trying to provide a living for her husband who's unable to work and you have to believe they knew that and didn't take all of these things into account it's just incredibly sad it sure is yeah and like I keep going back to the fact that Jeremy had nothing to do with the situation in terms of like the motive behind it right where it was he just went along with the whole thing and, like, according to this story, like, finished her off. You know what I mean? And so it's it's kind of, like, this weird situation where it's, like, like Willard, like, if you think that this motive is justified, which I don't, to be crystal clear. Again, not that there ever is a good reason, but this is certainly the worst reason ever. Um, like, where he, like, went after it for whatever reason he had. Jeremy didn't have any reason, you know, any solid reason, at least, from what we're going off of here, to actually, like, follow through on this whole thing. And Willard like seemed to be like again if we're going with like he's just like a deranged kid kind of thing like went after her and like didn't even in my opinion like seem to be like the most like involved person in the actual attack if that makes any sense right because like like he attacked her first and jeremy finished her off yeah and so it's like and frankly jeremy could have just like sat back Jeremy could have saved her life to be first of all crystal clear but like Jeremy could have just like sat back and just like watched it all happen and had plausible deniability in this whole thing but instead he followed through on it and ruined a whole bunch of lives in the process for someone to not really have a motive you know but then to do that it's it's there's a lot more going on with Jeremy than than we realize absolutely both both of them but both of them for sure absolutely well Iowa state law, kind of what we were talking about before, Lori, prevented a mandatory life sentence for minors, but both teens were sentenced to life in prison. Willard would be eligible for parole in 35 years, and Jeremy would be eligible for parole in 25 years. 
In July, when Willard received his sentence, reporters described him as emotionless. Yet he apologized to Nuema's family briefly before apologizing to his own. In November of 2023, when Jeremy was sentenced, it was a night and day difference from how Willard appeared at his sentencing, a total 180. Jeremy was sobbing and apologizing profusely directly to the family, saying, quote, I'm sorry, I'm truly sorry, what I've taken can never be replaced. Every day I wish I could go back and stop myself, prevent this loss and this pain that I've caused everyone, end quote. The judge said he would have considered a mandatory life sentence for Willard if the law had allowed it, calling his actions sinister and evil. The judge did say that Jeremy seemed to him to be much more likely to be able to rehabilitate, however. I think it is a good sign to see some remorse sometimes. Mm -hmm. You don't see that at the end or ever. So it seems like at some point someone got through to Jeremy and he realizes he made a terrible, terrible choice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like, I kind of imagine it, like, again, it doesn't make it better, but like, this is kind of how I imagine it going, happening, right? Where it's just like Jeremy and Willard were buddies, right? And like Willard was like, oh, I'm going to do this, like blah, blah, blah. Like maybe Jeremy didn't even really take him seriously up until it was actually happening. Just got like carried away with this like that's like again like just like 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 thinking that it was just like dumb kids being dumb kids and all of a sudden it was like oh my god what did i do right like maybe i don't know and like maybe i'm totally wrong but also if if that's how it happened then like you own up to it right away right like when you're when police come up to you and like and question you about what had happened so maybe that's not even the case but point being is like i keep going back to the fact that willard had all had 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 the motive right like had the reason to, to do this whole thing Jeremy didn't um and like we see kind of how this whole thing ended up playing out in terms of like how they're reacting on the back end of this whole thing when Willard is just like dry and like like clearly like either couldn't care less or like you know just didn't like wasn't capable of showing emotions in any way like it was clear that it like hadn't really sunk in for Willard, at least from, like, my opinion, from watching this, Mm -hmm. from watching him talk, Mm -hmm. whereas Jeremy was just, like, a mess. And, like, whether it was for Noema, whether it was for himself, like, knowing what he was getting, what he was gonna have to do for the rest of his life is, you know, yet to be seen. But, like, point being is, like, two different paths here, two totally different paths. Yeah, so it's easy to see why the judge, you know, decided, hey, maybe this person is able to be rehabilitated and the other one is callous void of emotion has shown Mm -hmm. no remorse so we're going to choose a different sentence for him because we don't know that he's going to turn his life around yeah well and again like 35 years like not really all that long for for murder but like um like like iowa state law at least at the time i don't know if it's changed since then um, did not allow you to to sentence minors to to life in prison. Period. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where we're at. And so I, I think my understanding is that the judge gave Willard like the most he could give him, and like that's it. Yeah, he'll be so. in his fifties by the time he's eligible yeah. for parole. You, you seem to be better at math than I am, but I, so I'll <laughs> I believe <think>. you. <laughs> I will believe you. A long time. A long time. A very, very long, long time. time. I can I can do that math for sure. But you know, both of the teens were also ordered to pay one hundred fifty thousand dollars in restitution to the family, but. I mean, hardly enough, right? I mean, geez. So the family confronted Jeremy and Willard at the sentencing, explaining to them how much they had taken from them. They admitted that Jeremy did seem remorseful, but they questioned his authenticity. 
Plus, they said the teens had taken more from them than they even knew. In March of that year, just days before the teens had pled guilty, Noema's husband had died from cancer. According to the Des Moines Register, he had been depressed and sad and hopeless after Noema's death, and the family blamed both of their deaths on Willard and Jeremy, saying he had basically given up without Noema there to help him fight the cancer. It sounds like he died of a broken heart. Yeah, right. And this was yeah. his person, um, his, the caretaker, love of his life, yeah. his caretaker, his provider, mm -hmm. his everything. His life partner. Yeah, no, you're so right about that. And like, going back, like again, talking about I just can't, like, listen, not that these kids have, like, more than have $150,000, period, to, like, toss around and, like, give up, you know, to the to the family, but $150,000 for someone who, like, an entire life, period, but, like, all, but like somebody who was providing for an entire family, you only give $150,000, that yeah. I just can't even imagine how, what that math was like. Talk about being bad at math. I can do math well enough to know that that's not, that's too low, you know? It, it seems like a very small amount when you, yeah. you look at the crime and the pain and the damage that was inflicted upon that family. Yeah. And again, I don't know how this is calculated ever. Like, I just don't. But like, I just, I, I don't know. I just can't imagine what formula added up to that in any way. But neither here nor there, I suppose. Right? Yeah. I don't know. It's it's a heartbreaking story, but thank you for yeah. breaking it down for us. Oh. This has um, been very interesting to be part of this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Lori. Um, you know, man, I just, I'm like still rocking my head around it. I feel like we kind of like got off very quickly and then ended very quickly in this case. Um, but man, I mean, I, cause it's, it, there's not a whole lot of detail packed in here because we don't, cause we, you know, again, like kind of, it was, you know, two plus two equals four in terms of like figuring out how to do it. And it was two plus two equals equals four to figure out how to like prosecute the, these guys. Um, but I mean, I just still feel like it's so important to tell these kinds of stories, even though there aren't a whole lot of detail details there. Um, because like Noema's, you know, story needs to live on in some way, shape or form. Right. And like, we can do that here. Um, you know, and so that's, I think that's cool um, that we are able to, to do that and, and to tell this story. Um, when, you know, again, a lot of podcasts probably just going to ignore it because there aren't a whole lot of details to talk about here, um, but important, still very, very important to, to, to carry on her her legacy and to, to share her story and how she, how she lived and how she died. Yeah, her life mattered and she was doing great work and she was uh, a great person for her family and she was obviously, um, you know, helping a lot of kids at school, following a passion, and it's just too bad that it ended this way, but hopefully someone will learn a lesson yeah. from all of this and, um, you know, think big picture. Think, don't, don't think about the here and the now. Right. And I think that's the moral of this story. Yeah, sure. Is it has to be right. Like there has to be some sort of moral here, moral of, of, you know, what we're talking about here. And like, I just keep thinking back to like, and like, I don't know, maybe this doesn't even apply here, but like, maybe it does of like, if, if something just seems off, if something just is, you're, you're getting these weird messages from like your classmates and things just aren't like adding up, like you have to say something about that. Like you have to bring it up to somebody, like to an adult and say, Hey, like, this is not like, there's something weird here. Like he's saying these weird things. Like you have to, if you see something, you have to say something like, otherwise who is right. And like, like maybe it would have saved Numima's life. Maybe it wouldn't have, maybe the, the signs were there. Maybe they weren't, but like point being is like, somebody has got it. Somebody has got to be looking out when, you know, the people who, need someone to look out for them can't look out for themselves yeah that would be a hard truth to live with for the rest of your life knowing that yeah. you could possibly have saved someone else's life if oh, you had man. just spoken up 
Yeah. Well, and like, I keep going back again, we talk about this all the time in the podcast where it's just like, it's like, like bad things don't happen, right? Like bad things don't happen to me. Bad things don't happen in my town. Like bad things just don't happen. And so I would imagine that where that their mentality, right? Especially when you're that young and like you haven't really seen the worlds, you know, the way that like, you know, you and I have Lori, where like you haven't really seen those things um, where it's just like, oh, like that can't be, like they can't be serious, right? Like they can't be, like they can't really be stalking Miss Graber. You know what I mean? Like they can't really be like, you know, threatening to beat her with a baseball bat. They just can't. Um, you know, and, and they just must be like, you know, taking a little too far, taking it a little bit too far, you know, saying things they don't mean to say. They, they, it just has to be like that, right? Obviously, that's not what happened. And so, uh, like, so point being is like that had to have been their mentality when they're that young and, and that naive, right? Yeah. I mean, and bad things do happen. I mean, turn oh, on yeah. Dateline or 2020. Oh, yeah, I, think, right. I think just or working. Or the nightly news, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. I think just working in the news makes you a little bit. Yeah. Um, more prepared in some ways, yeah, also absolutely. a little bit more cynical in other ways. Um, but sometimes, you know, it's good to have your eyes open. It's good yeah. to be watching your surroundings and seeing if someone's following you because yeah, it does happen to people. We, we rep- have reported on it many, many times. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, um, people, you know, make fun of me all the time for being a little paranoid, but like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to be your, I'm going to be your girl when, when things, when the things really hit the fan, right? Like things like I'm, I'm going to be that guy with the, with, with the, with the pocket knife in, and the, and the pepper spray. Oh, for sure. Y'all are going to be sad. So yeah. you have to be, I mean, it's, I'm gonna live. unfortunately <laughs> yeah. it is the world that we live yeah, in. So true. Yeah. So true. Um, well, on that great note, Lori, um, that is all that we have for you this week. Um, so thank you so much for coming on this week. It's been a pleasure. You're such a gem. Oh, it was so fun to catch up with you. It has been way too long. Sure has. Well, again, that is all that we have for you, Lori. It's been a pleasure. Um, so tell everyone where they can find you and your work online if you'd like. Yeah. So, you know, I'm still on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. You can find me. Um, I'm out there, just not on your uh, TV early, early yeah. in the morning. I'm sleeping past two thirty a.m. Love that for you. <laughs> what a what a time. What a time. Love that. It's a different lifestyle. It totally is. Well, thank you again so much for coming on, Lori, and thank you all so much for listening. We are going to put all of our sources on our website so you can read everything for yourself and probably come up with a few theories too. And if you are just loving this podcast and are just looking for a way to tell everyone and anyone about it, the best way to help people discover this podcast is by leaving us a five-star rating and a review wherever you are listening right now. So make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you're wondering what we have in store for you next week, here's a quick sneak peek. Hello, everybody. It's Liam. And I'm Chip Alford from the podcast Home Where You Belong. I'm entering the crime vineyard next week with the story of a flawed investigation that complicated the search for a black teenage girl from Chicago. And a major discovery sends it in a new direction. It's a frustrating case, but a very important one. And you'll hear all about it, every single detail, next Wine Wednesday on another episode of Crime Over Wine. Proud member of the Podnougan Network.